The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 113. It is a battle. That bravery, like we're talking about, it's not easy. And none of these things are easy. Long-time listeners of this show may be thinking, hey, wait a second, <laughs> this sounds familiar. And you're right, uh, this is an encore episode with Candace Zubernot. I just thought, both with the holidays and with the reality of the world that we're living in, repeating this episode felt like a really good idea. Candace Zubernot is a therapist and founder of The Christian Closet, an LGBTQ-affirming counseling, coaching, and spiritual direction organization. She's also the founder of Gloriously Queer, a conference for LGBTQ people of faith developed by LGBTQ people of faith. As a therapist, she sees LGBTQ individuals and couples worldwide as they navigate the many experiences of what it is to be a queer person in this world. She's a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute and the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Woo woo! That's where I went to school. And she identifies as a lesbian and a Christian. She lives in a small mountain town in Southern California with her wife, Crystal, and their five-year-old twins. Candace was named by The Advocate as one of the 10 pro-LGBTQ religious women you should know. She's also a seasoned speaker, performing both as a keynote speaker and workshop facilitator. She also trains and consults for both nonprofit and for-profit churches and companies. Like I said, it's not a new interview, but I'm thrilled to have Candace on the show. You know, she, she actually has a new book coming out, I think next year sometime. So we'll most likely do another interview with her, a new interview with her at that point. But today we're talking about mental health. I don't know about (laughs) y'all, but that feels super relevant right now. I think there's this idea out there that mental health therapists themselves like have it all kind of worked out. And maybe I'm like, maybe that's a projection. Maybe I'm projecting that. But, you know, I feel like as therapists, um, (laughs) we often kind of have this idea of we at least have to pretend to have everything figured out. That's not true. That's bullshit. Let's be honest about that. So this episode felt important for me to listen to. It was lovely to re-listen to it. It's from several years ago, and hopefully it it provides some encouragement and some goodness to your life as you listen to it, uh, either for the first time or again. Just so you all know, I am going to be taking a break at the end of this month, so there is not going to be an episode in two weeks, but Queerology will be back next year, 2021. May it come quickly (laughs) on January 12th. If you want 
more queerology before that, I'd like to invite you to the QCF, Q Christian Fellowship Conference, that's happening that first week of January. I'm doing a queerology live episode as part of the conference on Wednesday, January 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So if you want to join me for a live episode, it will all be done over Zoom. It will all be done online, so you can join from wherever you want. Come to the QCF Conference. All the information for that can be found over at qcfconf.org. And remember, if you use the code QUEERology, 2021. That's all one word, Queerology2021. You can get $10 off your registration. Also, there will be an ad in the middle of the episode for that with with more details. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Come join me for that. And otherwise, I will see you back here, right here, wherever here is, (laughs) on January 12th. Let's go ahead and dive in. Candice, hello. Welcome. Hey, Matthias. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have you here. This is great. So It is. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So to start, question I ask everyone, how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? I identify as a lesbian, but I also use the words or terms gay and queer kind of interchangeably. I know a lot of people have really a lot of strong feelings about the word lesbian. I don't have as many, (laughs) but it's just a really long word. (laughs) So sometimes it just feels easier to say gay or queer. And as far as my faith goes, I mean, it feels like it must live in the same spot inside of me that my queerness lives. They feel so tangled up together. And I think, I mean, my, my experience is not unique as a Christian, um, that for so many years it felt like, okay, I had to choose one of these. And of course, I'm going to choose the Christian part, right? I mean, I, you know, was raised as a Christian. And so by the time I could sort of own my own faith, I wanted to be someone who's faithful to God. I wanted to be close to God. I wanted to experience God. And I was under the impression that that meant whatever this queer piece was, it was bad. It did not go with my faith and in fact, it, it just was like some random, horrible sin that happened to come upon me, right? Like it was this thing that almost happened to me and it was terrifying. And I did not even have an idea or a context to even begin to consider that actually my queerness was knit, specially knit by God for me and that beautifully uh, displayed God's glory. And so by me pushing my gayness down, I actually was like pushing down the greatness of God in my life. Because when I was able to finally fully see like I could be LGBT and Christian, it was like my life opened. (laughs) My experience of God just felt so much more real. And those walls I had up came crashing down. And so it still kind of blows my mind to think, wow, I was so off. And no wonder I was suffering so much to be separated from myself and be running from God and having such an internal division when all along, like, they fit together so beautifully. I feel so grateful. Like, my relationship with God just wouldn't be what it is if I wasn't also queer. And I love my relationship with God. So I'm so happy that I'm a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Any other way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you talk about that kind of like opening up, 
in like being able to to bring those pieces together and then the openness that comes out of it like I, I feel like that's an experience I, I know I have had and so many people talk about of being able to finally open up into who I mean you say this was specially knit by God for me like how we were created to be exactly I mean I think another part of my story that's not unique is this feeling of like why do I feel sort of stuck or left behind. Like all of my friends are going through these life stages at these, you know, semi appropriate times. And it felt that way. It felt that way, my relationship with God, but also felt that way just in my life in general, my career and my, my relationships with my friends, they, everything kind of felt stunted. And I I think it's because I had to hide so much from who God had created me to be. i I didn't know how to then go and be a successful person. There wasn't a way to do that. So an opening for sure is what happened. I was at one of your workshops at QCF conference this past January and the one, the one on mental health and like you're a mental health clinician. You do a lot of work around mental health. And I'm curious, like, how did that interest kind of start? And then how would you say that like, I mean, would you say that your queerness has worked its way alongside that? Like, have those things worked together? Are they different? Like, because I know, like, mental health is a huge thing for everyone, but especially for queer people and queer people raised within faith traditions. Like, there's a lot going on there. So I'd be curious about that journey for you. You know, it's kind of funny. A lot of people, when they go to college, they're like, I don't know what my major is going to be. And it was just an assumption with myself and anyone who knew me that, of course, it was going to be psychology. Like, that was just kind of who I was. And it felt confusing though, because there was also this like God element. And so I didn't quite know how that was going to come into play. And then when the queer piece came, it was like, oh my God, like how is God and this queer piece and therapy going to come together? There was definitely a season where I was really lost um, professionally and, and personally trying to figure out how those could come together. I even had a pretty successful practice and I just thought, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And I was closeted and I remember having a few patients that were queer and it just broke my heart that I couldn't come out. I couldn't be myself. So I even I took a little break from from being a therapist to try to figure that out, um, you know, through my own process of accepting myself and coming out and all of that began to get tapped into, oh my God, no wonder I felt so lost to feel God's, and this is such a, a word that has a lot of feeling around it for people, but calling. I really do feel like God called me to the space of LGBT Christians trying to figure out, okay, how do we reconcile this? And then how do we live that out? And how do we be with our friends and family in that space? And I think you're exactly right. I mean, what happens along the way usually is our queerness gets pathologized. um, And we do it to ourselves because when we are rejecting ourselves, others are rejecting us, we are closeted, we're having to hide that is suffering. And when when people suffer greatly, um, usually there is mess, there is hurt, there is unhealthy coping mechanisms. And so it's really easy to point to those and say, ah, see, I knew it. I knew being gay was wrong. It's proof right there. Look at that person's life. Look at my life. It's a mess. But I think what happens is, of course, it's that's an easy, easy, easy thing to do rather than say, hmm, I wonder if this person is suffering because of the harm that's been done to them. 
both by themselves and others. And it's actually when that suffering can come and be loved and healed, do those things that you pointed out, do they actually go away? And I would say most of the time they do. (laughs) And so it's an extra step, I think, for those of us who are queer to begin to piece out what parts of my life are a result of my suffering and do I need to love and bring close into our hearts and and, um, heal and what other parts actually, you know, maybe don't have anything to do with being queer and absolutely like everybody's got issues, right? But it's, it especially breaks my heart for people that are LGBT and Christian and they're going to their pastors and they're going to their churches and their pastors are saying, see, you know, this is exactly what I told you would happen. This harm and hurt is proof that God did not create you beautifully and wonderfully this way. Man, the damage that that does and the mental health issues that that brings, it's astronomical. I get so sad and so mad. It's just unneeded harm. Yeah, there's so much in there of like, I mean, first that kind of that that reframing of like how how that tendency, I think, within some church cultures is to look at queer people and the quote unquote acting out or whatever language they want to put on it and say like, oh, this is all proof. Like, that's huge. And I think like so many of us have heard that so many times, like look at the way they act and then putting whatever labels we want to of morality judgments or whatever on that, as you said, like as that proof of there not being goodness or whatever. And then you talked about like, what parts of ourselves then do we need to bring close to ourselves in love? Like that is huge as well. Like (laughs) I'm like, I have chills as you're kind of talking about that of like that bringing in and caring for ourselves maybe in ways that we have never felt cared for by anyone. I mean, for me, that has been the number one thing that has changed my life has been to bring those broken places really close and to love them. Even when it's been, I mean, it has been the biggest battle too. It's not easy. It's not easy to take a part of yourself that you've said is bad, that everyone around you has said is bad and to bring it in close and to say, I'm going to try to love this part and God I'm going to believe that you love this part too. It is a single most life-changing thing that I've done. And it's a practice, right? Because I'm human. So there's times where, where I go back to like, whatever it might be. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to do with me being queer, but maybe it's, maybe, I don't know, I got frustrated with my, with my wife or something, right? And I feel bad. Like, oh, I'm, I'm now someone who is short-tempered. And I go down this whole path of, this bad, short-tempered person that I am. And it's, a, like I said, a practice where I have to stop myself and go to a place of, of love and understanding. And it doesn't look like, hey, it's okay. Who cares that you maybe hurt your wife, right? Like, I think that's the assumption that it just is this permission of, all oh, you queer people, I know it's that you want to go have all this crazy sex. Go have your crazy sex and you can hurt whoever you want. And there's this assumption that it's just, it means giving over to this, you know, deprived, kind of disgusting, uh, self-indulgent way of living. That's a real big misunderstanding of what God-centered self-love is, because a God-centered self-love actually, like, turns us towards holiness. It turns us towards loving the other. It turns us towards selflessness and gentleness, it doesn't turn us towards, oh, great, how much bad stuff can I go do and get away with? (laughs) 
a trusting of your heart, which is also something that as queer people we've been told by the church that we are not to trust our hearts. And I would say your heart is exactly where God is at. Listen to that small voice. That is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say full disclosure to people listening, like Candace and I went to the same school. And so <laughs> there's so much language in here that I'm like, I mean, even though you were at the school way before I was, I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, yes, 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 yes. Like, and like this, this concept though of, of self-love and, and, you, and you kind of like touched on this a little bit, but like how I think we often hear that term and that like, oh, you just need to love that part of yourself and like with an eye roll, like, like, yeah, right. Like what, what is that going to do? And and I'd be curious about like, maybe, maybe like you said that this has been kind of like a huge life-changing thing for you. What has that kind of looked like specifically? And what has that self-love actually looked like as opposed to this kind of fluffy, as you were saying, this kind of like fluffy, oh, I can do anything or it doesn't matter what I do. It is a radical act what you're talking about. Yeah, I love the word radical. I often call it radical self-acceptance. And earlier, I mean, the word battle feels so appropriate. Because for me, and and I, I know that I'm not alone, you know, when there's parts of me that are hard to love, when I go into that quiet space of, okay, I'm, I'm going to bring that broken piece in close, there are other parts of me that are judging me. They're saying, she doesn't deserve love. You hate her. There's all these other voices, voices of other people that have hurt and harmed me in my life coming out at those moments. So it's not as if it's like, oh, this was easy and I just love myself. There's a battle of all these other voices. And so trying to quiet myself, um, it, it looks like me going to a place where I'm alone, where I can quiet myself, where I can begin to even visualize this part of me. You know, in, in the workshop that you were in, I think I did a, a meditation, like visualization type thing where, you know, often these these parts of us have a an age associated. How old did I feel when I did that? Or what part of me engaged in that thing that I'm rejecting now? And I even imagine that part of me. I imagine, you know, maybe it's this 21-year-old young me who fi- who just discovered she was gay and there's some kind of shame in there. And I imagine my adult self meeting her there and God being there and all the messages of, like I said, I knit you this way, my daughter. And the battle of those other voices coming out at those moments and me having to choose to believe the goodness more than those hurtful words and doing it over and over and over again. And the thing is, when I come out of those moments, like I said, my heart is soft. My heart is so open to loving others better. You know, we say like hurt people, hurt people. (laughs) I think that couldn't be more true. When I come out of that quiet place of being loved, my ability to love others is so much deeper. And I'm curious from you, Matthias, like going to the same school that I went to. And, you know, it was kind of a concept when I was going there, not a huge concept, I'm wondering, is it a is it something that you encounter as a grad school student in your studies or even just amongst your colleagues? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like so much of our training has been centered a lot around that that work of how do we bring kindness and love into these spaces. And and now that you asked me that, I'm wondering like how much of it has been prompted by the school and how much of it has been my own work as well. Cause like 
I know I've latched onto the work of Dr. Kristen Neff um, and her work around self-compassion. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, but she has a whole, where she had taken from Buddhist meditation practices and has kind of codified a, in her doctoral work, a way of bringing mindful self-compassion into a therapeutic space, but into just daily lives. And her work has been transformative for me because she is a way of like, this is exactly how we do this and how we bring ourselves into these spaces to accept and, and be kind and literally transform the way that we treat ourselves. And that wasn't taught at school. That's something I stumbled across. So <laughs> I don't I don't know how much of it, <laughs> like if it goes hand in hand or not. So yeah, there's some of it there. Well, I love that. I'm going to check out her stuff because it sounds like I would be eating it up. Yeah, I think you probably would. It's so good. It's yeah. so, so good. I mean, back when I was sort of discovering this, I was really, and I still do love Henry Nowen. Um, he was a big voice for me in, in this, like just trying to discover this self-love thing, as well as, you know, lots of different therapists and therapy along the way, um, exploring that. Y'all, I'm so excited to be going to Q Christian Fellowship's first ever virtual conference happening January 7th through 10th in 2021. Listen to this keynote lineup. Father Richard Rohr, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, who's been on Choreology many times, Dr. Emily Towns, and Reverend Empo Tutu Van Furt. That's Desmond Tutu's daughter. You'll have the opportunity to hear from and connect with LGBTQ plus Christians and allies from all over the world. QCF Conference is an annual gathering where hundreds of LGBTQ plus Christians and allies gather for worship, fellowship, workshops, affinity gatherings, and to experience the fullness of God's love and affirmation through each other. I'll be recording a live episode of Queerology. Kevin Garcia and I are hosting an after-hours game night that's gonna be wild. <laughs> and we're also doing a workshop together about overcoming shame and bad theology. It's more than just a conference. QCF is catalyzing a movement. Virtual all-access registration is just $65, making this the most accessible conference ever. To find out more, visit qcfconf.org and sign up today. That's qcfconf.org. Can't wait to see you there. We're talking about kind of like mental health from the perspective of like, how do we love ourselves? How do we, I mean, I'm thinking about like a couple episodes ago, I had Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza and and she talks about this, this concept of how do we love ourselves into our stories? And I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about, that practice. But there's there's a whole nother side of mental health that I think we're not talking about of like actual like mental health diagnosis and those struggles that we have that like sure self-love can make a huge difference in but it also takes a lot of other work as well and i'd be curious if you could kind of talk about that and like because as as core people like those things impact us as well like (laughs) there's and it's something that we don't talk about a whole lot yeah why do you think that is gosh i mean i feel like from my perspective, like from even from larger cultures perspective is like it's taboo topics. But then I think as queer people, like we don't want to talk about them because I think going back to what you were saying before, like the more we talk about like, oh, I'm depressed or oh, I have anxiety or oh, I have a personality disorder or whatever, it feels like further proof that something about us is bad. So I feel like there's kind of that double that double layering there of like, 
we can't talk about the bad things in our lives or the hard things in our lives, maybe not bad, but the hard things in our lives because of the risk associated with it. Yeah, I think that's completely insightful and so true that it is further proof of, see, that's exactly why being queer is so bad. Look at this person who's depressed or look at this person who's so anxious they can't leave their house or they're dealing with a personality disorder. And that, I think, unfortunately, it happens inside and outside the queer community. And that is one place that, you know, I think the LGBT community could really grow in is I think so many people have been rejected and hurt that, like I said, hurt people hurt people. And so it's it's not always the safest place to talk about our mental health issues because they don't want to be associated with that, right? Like, ah, okay, you've got one. Like, don't talk. I don't want to associate with you because I don't want someone to think that I am bad or something. But it's very real. I mean, a mental health diagnosis can come about because of hurt and harm that's done, trauma, biology. There isn't one thing that creates it, but one thing that makes it worse is untreating it uh, or not treating it, <laughs> untreating it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just coined that. Great. That is a, a special term, untreated. Um, yeah. And that there, that actually like it increases your, our suffering and we have already suffered enough. Like each one of us, our mantra needs to be like, I have suffered enough. Mm. And so if you are depressed or anxious or feel like there's just something going on inside and you're not sure what, you don't have to suffer that. There are very legitimate scientific ways of treating that so that you don't have to suffer anymore. I think, you know, there have been times in my life where I thought I was just a depressed person. That was my personality, but it, it actually wasn't my personality. It was that I was rejecting myself and others were hurting me, but I needed a therapist to walk me through that. And I absolutely was depressed. That's what happens when there are so many hurtful voices in our heads. And so to expect that you would come out of that without a need for others to walk with you and maybe the need of medication, it's just not fair. And thank God for medication. I think the other thing is that people misunderstand it. You know, there's this idea of like, well, I don't want to change my personality. I don't want to gain 50 pounds. I'm strong enough to deal with this. There's all of these misnomers of like, I'm going to become someone else. The side effects are going to be horrible. And I would say if that's your experience, you know, you might be on the wrong medication <laughs> because medication is a godsend. I like to describe it as like it takes the edge off and lets you start where everyone else gets to start in the morning. And so why wouldn't you offer that to yourself? And if you feel like you need it and you can't offer that to yourself, find a therapist who will work with you with you that. You can take your time working through your feelings about medication so that you won't have to suffer more. I'm so grateful that we live in a time where it exists. Yeah. I mean, I think about my clients as I, as we, we start walking down those paths of, of starting on medications and like, I mean, the huge shifts that happen in their lives just from taking the medication and yeah, medication doesn't change everything. It doesn't cure everything. But as you said, it, it gets people up to a starting point that is similar to other people so that we can continue to engage in, in the work that, that still needs to be done. Like it's, it's the kind of the both and, but they're wonderful, wonderful things like so good. 
our bodies need things sometimes. Our bodies sometimes need medicine of all different kinds. I have a cold right now. <laughs> I am taking, you know, Sudafed so that I'm, you know, it, it's okay that our bodies need medication sometimes. And focus and prayer, those things are great, but it is not a way of curing what our bodies need. I mean, it's just incredible to watch and, and see and be like, oh, like, your life has already changed. Like, <laughs> yeah, I haven't even done anything as a therapist. Right. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> I've just been with you, and it's like your body just needed this. Awesome. Like, amazing. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious for like, I mean, like, I know that step of. I mean, we're, we're both mental health clinicians, like therapy is what we do. We, we go to our own therapy, like all of that, like it's the world we're seeped in. But I know for so many people, like that's not their worlds. And that idea of like going to see a therapist um, or even thinking about going to see a therapist is an anxiety filled, fear filled, like terrifying prospect of like, I mean, it, it goes down to that, like admitting that there's like, what if there's something terribly wrong with me and the insecurity that can like come up in all of that and i'd be curious like how how do you work with that with people who are coming to therapy for the first time or, or just trying to start this process of taking care of their mental health and that fear and terror that can that can come with the prospect of seeing a therapist like yeah it makes me feel so tender i know what that's like i have seen therapists myself and you know, by now I'm pretty used to it, <laughs> but there was a time in my life when I wasn't. And it was really, I mean, I remember going to my first therapist and my body kind of shaking, you know, that feeling when you're like, you think you're cold, but it's just your nerves shaking. I remember feeling that way. And I would say, if you could be brave and tell the person that you're going to see as a therapist, tell them how scared you are and let them care for you, let them be with you let them provide space that is safe and that is not rushed to work through those fears. And also that we are human. I'm a person. I want to know you. I want to be with you. I am not superhuman. So to remember that there's this title therapist, but therapist equals real person. And so if you call someone or you go to see someone and they don't seem like a real person, it might be time to find someone who is a real person and a therapist at the same time. It doesn't need to be scary. Vulnerable? Yes. You don't want to pay for therapy and not dig into your stuff. Because <laughs> it is. It's a financial investment. So I don't know if that's kind of connecting to what you're saying, but gosh, what a tender, tender place to be. The bravery the vulnerability that goes into it. And like, I mean, I was, I'm thinking like, I mean, in my, in my yoga practice this morning, like we were focusing on this idea of triumph, but triumph in the small steps and like the just showing up <laughs> kind of steps. And like, how, how do we take pride in the fact that we are doing something for ourselves that is good for us? And it feels like that ties in so much with that kind of taking those steps to start seeing someone. And it's scary, but it's something to, to be really proud of too. Oh, hugely. It makes me think of my my kids, especially my daughter. She was recently scooting on her little scooter. So they're three and a half. So being on the scooter is a huge deal, you know? And she was tearing around the corner and like, boom, went over the handlebars and crying. And she, you know, did not want to get back on that scooter. And I was like, are you kidding me? 
you were you just did the most epic like hardcore freaking rad <laughs> over the handlebars <laughs> i mean i want it on video so i can put it on youtube like to me that's what how i think about going to therapy like are you kidding me you just did the most epic hardcore there are so many people who stay in the hurt place who stay in the like ball of a life that they are in, they will not engage that bravery and that I'm going to go all freaking out and just face this hardcore rip around that corner and go over those handlebars. Cause it's hardcore and freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. Like I, <laughs> I mean, I'm hearing you say that and like how easy it is to stay in that place of hurt and like, I mean, and of course, sometimes we need to stay in those places of hurt, but like to even recognize the fact that like we can then take steps to jump right back in again and care for ourselves in those steps. But like the goodness that comes out of, of seeing our own bravery, even in the hurt. Yeah, it feels awesome. Confidence is built. Trust is built. It's a special thing. Ah, oh, goodness. I, I... <laughs> I'm sitting here like, well, where do we go now? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've solved the world's problem, right, this is... <laughs> um, I think I'll go take a nap. Great. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy for us to sit here and talk about it. And I think but both of us are keenly aware, as easy as it is for this to roll off of our tongues, that it is a battle. That bravery, like we're talking about, it's not easy. And none of these things are easy. So I would say, I mean, I'm imagining someone sitting here listening to this, feeling even shame that they can't do this with the ease at which you and I talk about it. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I will be heartbroken if someone listens to this and ends up feeling shame afterwards, mm -hmm. that even your fear is allowed, your questioning is allowed, your uncertainty that therapy will ever work for you is allowed. Where you are at and who you are right now is allowed. <laughs> there doesn't have to be a, um, I should be something else to simply love exactly where you're at, even if it's a place of fear and uncertainty. And that is like damn hard work. <laughs> hard, hard, hard. Yeah. It makes me want to curse. It's so hard. <laughs> That's not easy. Well, I'm certainly glad that more therapists like yourself are joining the ranks. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's so, like, I feel like it's still kind of few and far between that there's, that there are people who are really doing this work at like intersections of faith and sexuality, but there are more and more popping up all over the place. And it's so needed because of, I feel like the trauma, like it's such a specific like focus of trauma that we have been through in our lives that while other people can absolutely help with it, and if you can't find a therapist who works at those intersections, like, still give therapy a chance, but, like, <laughs> but to have people who understand that, I mean, is so needed in this world. Yeah. I mean, the amount of people who are like, oh, my God, I can't believe I found someone who is lesbian, who is also Christian, who gets these things, who can be my therapist, oh, my God. And I am just ex so, so, so happy that other people are joining this because more and more, you're exactly right. Like we need so many other therapists who understand those intersections and who can walk with people because you can find someone who is queer, but if they don't understand the faith piece, they're just not going to get it. 
And obviously the other way around, someone who's Christian who doesn't get the queer piece can actually do a lot of harm when trying to help somebody. So I'm stoked that I'm getting more and more uh, colleagues in this space. Me too. And I will say, as as people hear that, because I think like, because I think so many of us who are working at those intersections are in like the big cities on the coast, like that, I feel like that's kind of like this, or the big cities in in the center of the of the US. But like, for everyone who listens, like in this world of, of where like that isn't even a concept like I, I think about like where i grew up in the midwest like <laughs> that's just not the hope of even finding a therapist who can even engage sexuality like and being a christian like i mean you said like there's so much harm that can be done in there um so all of that to say like i know like you do psychotherapy via internet and have clients all over the u.s maybe maybe the world i guess i don't know but like what does that look like? And if someone wants to like maybe get involved, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like there are options for people who don't feel like they can have that right in their hometown, either with you or with other people. Yeah. I mean, it's technology is amazing nowadays for that exact reason that I get to see people all over the world who are in these places and just like your hometown that like, okay, so finally I get to the place of, I will see a therapist, but who? There's no one within a two mile drive or two hour drive. And so I do all my therapy via the web, which at first I was uncertain, like, okay, so how is this going to work? I've never done this before. It Will it feel too disconnected? I have been so surprised. It feels like we are in the same room. For me, I think the hardest part is every once in a while wanting to like give someone a hug or like a pat on the back as they leave the office. That's the saddest part for me. Other than that, it is amazing to be able to sit with someone halfway across the world and talk through these things and process through these things. I'm really grateful for technology and the people who've created it. Yeah. So my, you'll probably say it, but my website is thechristiancloset.com if you want to find out about that. And if you don't like me or my therapy style, uh, there are absolutely other uh, therapists who do online stuff nowadays. So, uh, well, Candice, thank you so very much. Yeah, it's fun hanging out with you. Yeah, likewise. And yeah, I will absolutely link up everything in the show notes so that people can find you. So I hope you have a great rest of your afternoon. I will. You too. You can find out more about Candace over on her website, CandaceZubernot.com, or visit her practices website, TheChristianCloset.com. She's on Instagram at Candace underscore Zubernot and on Twitter at TheChristianCL. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. It's people like you who keep the show on the air. To find out how you can become an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. Another really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next time, y'all. Bye!
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.